There's been so many recent developments with the Olympic athletes being so brave and the backlash is really interesting, but this is a new generation. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we talk to leaders in our community. Joining me today is Dr. Shauna Springer with the Stella Center. Welcome back, Dr. Springer. So glad to have you back from vacation. Thanks, Lori. As I was just saying, I'm trying to hold on to that vacation feeling as long as as I can. It's funny that you're talking about that because it really has to do with mental health, right? It's like you take the break, but then you come back and everything's look at me, look at me. Well, that's a funny thing because I actually use the analogy of if you take a vacation and you get your stress level down and then you drop back into a very stressful life your stress level will come back up. I think the key is really starting new patterns. And one of the things I've started to do is try to substitute tea for coffee and finding that harder than it it seems. And I almost got tanked by a Facebook post from a friend who didn't post this in reference to me or anything, but she said, if you substitute green tea for your coffee in the morning, you will remove 87% of your remaining pleasure in life. That one kind of settled in and uh, (laughs) it it shook my resolve, Lori, for just a little while, but I'm I'm trying to make some some longer changes that will hopefully help that vacation feeling last a little longer. (laughs) That's so good. Isn't it amazing when we get the life lessons? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like we never stop growing. We have so much to talk about. I feel like really the Olympics would be the best place to start. And I'm sure you have a lot of ideas and thoughts on that. I do. I mean, it's been, I've watched a lot of the Olympics, just really something I remember back in Los Angeles in 1984, the Olympics came to LA when I was living there. And so since then, Greg Louganis, the diver, just so many amazing athletes, I always tune into the Olympics. So, you know, in addition to the sport in the last few years, we've seen more of the human interest side of the Olympics. Who are people? What are their stories behind their athletic feats? And especially this year, that really stood out to me in terms of Simone Biles, people that came forward and said, you know what, Um, I'm going to pull back for a minute and take care of myself. That is a very revolutionary and groundbreaking movement that really was part of this Olympics. I was thinking about you had mentioned the backlash. You want to talk about that? Because that's what blew me away. Yeah. I mean, people saying, you know, that they basically owe it to us to compete and to suppress their natural instincts. Now, these people are champions, like their instincts are what make them champions. But there were so many people who are kind of armchair quarterbacks, if you will, saying you owe it to the U.S. to compete. And what happened was so interesting when Suni Lee got the gold in the gymnastics all around. It was just, wow, that is a really strong team because Simone Biles took a step back. Her teammates stood up and, and took that spot and really brought home the gold. And so I think people quieted down a little bit, but just the principle of feeling like anybody owes us something versus that person saying, you know, my deepest instinct tells me after years of competing that I'm not in a headspace to compete right now. And I could have a career ending injury if I do. Like you said, the bravery was so amazing because we come from generations of buck up. Like you said, it is a new generation and people have been talking about mental health awareness 
for a long time, but I don't know that we've been becoming more aware. I feel like something this, I want to call it extreme, but I want to call it extreme self-care is something Uh that maybe will challenge us all to think a little differently. Right. I mean, in past generations as well, people were so much more private and stoic about mental health challenges. In past generations, it was just something that you didn't talk about. This is the generation where there's no such thing as privacy. And this is a connected generation that's used to kind of living out loud, posting on social media, talking about their internal experiences. So they have a vocabulary to describe what's going on and what their challenges are. And the conditions based on leaders like Michael Phelps and Simone Biles and others in our society who have really set the conditions to have a more open conversation about struggle. What would you say to people that are listening that still sort of have that buck up mentality, but they know it has to change? They just don't know how? Yeah, old habits definitely can die hard. I think the moral dimension of holding your struggles to yourself will hopefully fade away. As people come to see a new definition of what courage is, I always think that my work with veterans, if you can help them understand that confronting your problems directly is the way through them and that that is the braver thing to do. The easier thing to do is to not seek help and not admit that you have a problem, but confronting a problem directly is the more brave thing to do. And so I think as we shift towards that understanding, some of that will fade, but I would challenge people, you know, that have that mentality to think about what does it mean to really trust one's own instincts in terms of what you need for healing and for repair of your body and your mind, because we've all been through so much trauma in the last year and a half that it's, it's now really clear to all of us that trauma and suffering are human universals. I'd like you to say more about instinct, because I think that's also something that, like we say, buck up, we say about instinct, stuff it down. Yeah, well, I mean, it's getting less and less, I think, with each generation that we have that mentality of just deal with it, just suck it up, just stuff it down with exceptions. For example, in the military, it's necessary to focus on the mission at times. And so I'm not questioning that. I think there's also a time for healing. There needs to be a time to repair the body and mind and really reckon with those problems directly. And I think past generations, we have tried to dull our instinct repeatedly. In fact, I have a friend named Jennifer Tracy who has this concept of the check engine light and the check engine light in your car being on. You should notice that and you should go and get your car repaired. But for many of us, I realized earlier this year that I've had my literal check engine light on in my car for for many years. And because it's been on, and I don't really know what the problem is, but the car is running fine and I haven't had time to deal with it, I can't really tell if there's anything else wrong. That numbing and that suppressing of our instinct really can put us in a, a dangerous place because we suppress everything, you know, and we can't really tell when something is getting really treacherous and needs to be addressed when we do that. So I think we're coming off that mentality a bit though, recently. And I think what's really hard about instinct, and this is something that I learned when I was going through a situation, if your instinct says go a different way, something in you says, don't take that road, go left, not right. And you listen to it. You never know 
what you right. missed. And so it's easy to go, oh, I'm just overreacting rather than erring on the side of going, you know what? I think I missed something that could have been really bad. Seems like we go to doubt. We do go to doubt. I will tell you that even though we can take somebody through a suicide prevention training and tell them to, you know, look for these signs, in most of the cases I've worked with, it's actually been instinct that has saved lives. Wow. It has been instinct that somebody who has a bond of love and trust with somebody else, whether a military brother or sister or somebody else in their family says something has shifted in this person I care about. And it's not because they're fulfilling all of the check boxes and the signs of risk. It's because there's a connection there between people and an instinct in us when we're connected to someone tells us there's something going on with this person. So it's that instinct and listening to that instinct that I've always encouraged my patients to pay attention to. And instead of suppressing it, or say, no, I'm not going to go into that conversation because it's awkward, because it might go badly, go into that conversation. That's the, the braver thing. And if you don't, uh, you might miss something that could be really important to hear. I feel like the things we believe about things has like flipped upside down. And yeah. so one of the things with veterans is, I want you to correct me. What do you think? I think that part of the problem with veterans is they were never allowed to tell their story, for one, because military and privacy. Number two, they didn't want to share the stories because they had to do things they didn't want to do. So they never had that outlet. And I feel like sharing our stories can heal us. But also there are places, there are things that like with the military, the the people with PTSD, they've probably not, it's not that they can't or they won't, it's that they have not been allowed. So I'm wondering with your work with veterans, what you see in that and what helps them. Yeah, it's interesting. So the warrior identity and the way that they're trained is to be stoic in the face of pain. And so there's nobody saying, hey, you're not allowed to pull your brother or sister aside after that mission and talk to them. It's just not culturally what happens in most cases, because in most cases, when they are active duty and they're on mission, the messaging is, you know, stay focused on the mission. And if you look like you have a problem, maybe people will trust you a little less or look at you as though you might be kind of a weak link in the mission or something like that. That's the thinking, but they sustain sometimes tremendous traumas. And my point is not that they need to talk about it while they're carrying out the mission, because I think there's a time and place to focus on the mission and compartmentalize, but there's also a need for people to have a safe place to really talk about it. And that's where my work really comes in around how do we cross that cultural gap with those that we're serving if we're working with veterans as civilians, and how do we build that trust that lets them know no matter what they have to share, what stories of pain, what stories behind the stories they tell at first, that we can be a safe place to hear it and respond without shock or disgust or horror, any of those things that would be really unhelpful. I train recovery coaches. And today, an issue that came up is what happens when somebody shares they've been sexually abused, like maybe uh -huh. as a child. My response to that was, First of all, if it's going to trigger you and you can't hear their story, 
you have to be honest. But before that, you say, I believe you. If you can hear the story, hear it. If you can't, you say, let's find somebody safe you can share this with. Like you said, the broader generation, when they hear something, their first reaction is not helpful to the person who either purposely or accidentally shared a little bit. I'm wondering how we educate people so that when our people in the military or when our survivors share something, how we can kind of put ourselves aside, give them the best response, and then take the next step with them. Yeah, see, I think it's a calling to serve those who have served us and that there are going to be docs in the system that build that trust who are really committed to being healers for those who serve in the military. I don't believe that necessarily just everybody can do it. I believe everybody can learn to be safe in those ways, but sometimes it takes a little bit of work. And it, it did for me. When I first started, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Back when I was in my residency, I did a residency at a fear and anxiety disorders clinic. And I was exposing people to their worst fears all day long whether it was a fear of germs, you know, they would hold on to a live cockroach that was thrashing around in their sweaty hands, or whether they had to go to the morgue at the hospital and watch an autopsy because of this fear of death that was really decreasing their quality of life. And so I had to do a number of things before I started that job so that my reaction would not be one of shock or horror. And I did that and it, it was difficult, but I went through that process of addressing some of my own fears so that I could offer my patients the gift of being solid and steady and helping it to be really a safe place where they could say anything to me without fear of my reaction. So I think the key is here is find that safe place. Yeah. And if you are marketing yourself as somebody who really is a healer for the military or veteran community, Take the time to do the work in advance. To your point, Lori, it's a high stakes interaction that people have the moment they decide to share their story of trauma. It needs to go well because somebody is extending you the deepest form of trust and that trust is sacred. And so it's not great if you're having your first reaction to a story of combat trauma and you have this look of shock or horror, but there's a way around that. And it's by really exposing yourself to good information about the conditions of service, what people go through, their stories, reading them, watching films, learning from people that know, you know, my book, Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us, is really a primer for how to work with the military and veteran population and all of the traumas that we need to understand more fully. So getting those kinds of materials and training is really critical, not just sort of winging it and saying, I'm generally a safe person. What do you want to share with me? I love that because often people have a passion to help mm -hmm. people. They don't do the work. And I don't want to ever discourage somebody from starting something if they have a passion, but also do your work, do your research, find out how you can be the best at doing that. And if it's working with a certain population, then understanding it. So I worked with the homeless and people would come in and want to volunteer and they would not want to do the training because they were fine, but they weren't fine because they didn't understand. And they yes. usually went right to fixing, which doesn't help anybody. Exactly right. That is a great analogy. So if you say that you have a heart to serve a certain group of people, 
then you need to do the research and you need to prepare yourself to be a healer for that population. And you're so right. People's first instinct is to try and solve a problem. Their anxiety goes up when they hear a problem. They think I've got a solution and they flip into a solution um, focused mode versus what we know really can help heal the heart and the soul is just being utterly safe and open to witnessing pain and allowing people to talk through what they've been through so they can integrate it and become stronger in the end. Um, So one of the projects I've had for this last year relevant to that is I teamed up with a friend named Jennifer and we've done a whole program called redefineyourmission.com where we want to equip healers to really understand military veterans, first responders, EMTs, and we're dosing it out in all of these little videos and worksheets. And this is training for people that really want to work with those populations. I'm hundred percent in sync with that idea of you don't just go into it because you think you might like the work. You show up in a way that's informed. Tell me more about how we find that training, how we find that your new project. Yeah. So it's, it's called the master guide for mental wellness. And what it is, is it's based on my book, Warrior, and her book, which is called From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope. Jennifer had a lot of trauma in her life, was at one time struggling with suicidal ideation, and came through that. And so what we offer is the combination of lived experience and all the insight she's gained from her journey, losing her one of her daughters, her husband to a drunk driver, other traumas suicide loss in her life of a family member, and then her own mental health crisis to where she is now as a really well-respected mental health advocate. And then my part is kind of the, the professional background, professional expertise in working with warriors and first responders to really bring in some of those additional perspectives and insights. We've kind of created this very digestible series of short videos and take-home points, and you can write journal reflections. There's questions to drive deeper insight. There's activities and things to do to, to apply what you're learning and other things that will really help integrate the information. We've just launched that actually a couple of weeks ago in soft launch. And that was one of my projects this past year to, to get that off the ground. So I can say, Hey, it's all right here, nicely packaged. And that would be at redefineyourmission.com. Well, let me tell you about what Stella is up to recently too, because Stella, since we last talked, has probably even added a few more sites. We now have 26 sites across the United States offering the Stella ganglion block injections. We have four sites in Australia. I think last time we spoke, even just a few weeks ago, it was just two sites. So the expansion we're seeing is is very rapid. Meanwhile, the VFW, the Veterans of Foreign Affairs, like a huge national organization that's one of our oldest, most respected organizations has endorsed SGB as something that should be offered and sort of put forth a resolution to pass the Treat PTSD Act, which would make it available across the VA. And it's got to go through, you know, the House and the Senate and all of its processes, but tremendous momentum on that with the VFW endorsement and just expanded sites across the country and lots of exciting new developments with that. That is so wonderful. And for anybody that hasn't heard you before, why don't you tell us about that? The Stellar Ganglion Block is basically an injection of an anesthetic medication into a cluster of nerves a few inches above the collarbone. 
It's considered very routine by pain practice providers. So anesthesiologists have given this injection for pain conditions since 1926 for things like shingles or, or phantom limb pain. So it's not a new procedure, but since 2008, it's been uh, used to treat post-traumatic stress symptoms based on the first case report published by my colleague, Dr. Eugene Lipoff. This week, what I'm working on right now is a major survey that I posted on LinkedIn about is PTS, post-traumatic stress, a disorder or an injury? The psychiatrist who first coined the term post-traumatic stress injury, PTSI, is Dr. Frank Ockberg, who also was the person who coined Stockholm syndrome. So he's a very eminent psychiatrist, and he has said for years, this is an injury, not a disorder. It's a change in the brain. It can be healed. It can be treated with these precision medicine techniques. This injection um, is a, a major asset in, in healing. We're doing a, a survey right now to see whether people think the term really needs to be updated so that people will come in and get the relief they need without feeling like they have a disorder that they're going to have to manage for the rest of their lives. That just feels like hope to me. Yeah, to me too. To me too. I've seen so many people now go through this in the last year. I used to say I've seen about 50 people and I I realized this morning, no, we've continued to treat so many people this year. I've probably tracked about a hundred people now personally through this procedure, including two that I'm doing a film project with for Mission 22 is an organization run by a former Green Beret and his wife, Magnus and Sarah Johnson, and they had donated 20 procedures. So those were snapped up in no time at all. I had gone out to a reunion of Marines and several of them needed the procedure. And so those were lined up very quickly. And I recently went with two of the patients to the San Jose Stella Clinic to watch them through their treatment and observe you know, how they did just after. And that's part of a filming project. So we'll be documenting all of that and bringing that forward through Mission 22 in the next six to 10 months. This is so exciting. And you started with veterans, but I know as we've talked, you've said whatever trauma you've had, that yeah. you can get relief. What really grabbed my attention is when you have trauma is mm -hmm. you can become hypervigilant. Yes. The person with the trauma often doesn't realize they're doing it, but if they're talking with somebody, they're looking all around and they look so distracted, even though they're not, they're tracking with a conversation, but they're, they're protecting themselves <laughs> because who might come up behind them or they, or in a restaurant, they always sit facing the door or just that hypervigilance that I, I don't know that people really understand that trauma uh, survivors have. They absolutely do. And, and they, I would say are somewhat distracted. I mean, they may be tracking the conversation enough to respond, but compared to a really present conversation where they're are no distractions. It's totally different. One of the huge revelations for me personally in the last year of watching people go through the stellate ganglion block is that when patients are hypervigilant, they're not really with me in the room as a therapist. They're distracted by this ticker tape in their mind of all these memories and what could happen and are they safe in the space where they're sitting? It's just a continual kind of ticker tape. And so therapy really takes work. It takes mental concentration. And if people are not in the right mind space to do it, they're not going to get the best outcome. And so really combining 
the biological techniques that get them calm in their own body with really good therapy and other wellness practices is what I think should be the new standard of care as we come out of this endless time of trauma with the pandemic. I also think that people with trauma may present as ADHD because of that hypervigilant. And, you know, that may not be the case, but I love that, um, I love that there is a way for people to get some relief. And I just love that from disorder to injury. Do you know who Dr. Caroline Leaf is? I don't, not yet. She comes from the days when you couldn't change your brain, but she kept saying, yes, you can. And she worked with TBI, traumatic brain injury, and people were getting their lives back. It does. You know, my husband is a neuropsychologist. And so I find that research on neuroplasticity very hopeful that the brain is not damaged and it, it can never grow new neurons or, or learn to adapt. At the same time, we've treated a number of patients with TBI, traumatic brain injury, as well as PTS. They're often like very linked, especially for warfighters to have deployed to combat. A lot of them have both and really seen good outcomes. How do you get the, the most effective, most compassionate outcome for people most efficiently? And what I've seen is that SGB really is, as one of my patients said, the primer before the paint. Those neuroplasticity exercises and and work that neuropsychologists do are important, but they will work better if someone is calm in their own body and they're not fighting this tide of adrenaline to get there. I love that. That makes so much sense. It's like set the foundation first. Yeah. Set the foundation. I'm watching very closely some of the research on the psychedelics. I don't know too much about that yet, but I'm learning from some really interesting and well-respected people. Kristen Gorenflow has been really teaching me some things about different psychedelics. And so I'm starting to learn from various folks, but one of the things that separates SGB from the psychedelics a little bit is that people don't have to give up their control. A lot of the patients that have been traumatized, whether through sexual assault or chronic homelessness or combat, they don't like the idea of possibly having a negative trip or being out of control of themselves. And SGB is not psychoactive. So I I think there's potential for SGB to be primer before some of these exciting innovations in the psychedelic space, where for people who are calm in their own bodies and open, to that experience of what they might benefit from or learn or go deeper with some of those treatments, might be able to combine even biological agents like that in really innovative ways. So I'm kind of theorizing about that and learning right now, but there's a lot of really exciting innovation coming out. So before we go, I wanna talk about, you've done so much work with veterans and the stigma. We have talked a little bit about that. And when we think of all the trauma we've been through in the last year, everything that's going on, can you talk a little bit about that? Part of the reason why stigma is hopefully going down is because so many of us have had trauma in this past year and a half. And it's just not an abstract concept for us anymore. It's something that we have felt in our bodies um, from, you know, the day that COVID first broke to the day we realized the severity of it. Um, I think we talked in one of our other conversations about how, you know, I admit to thinking, oh, a few weeks and we'll be out of this. And then having that realization that, no, this is a long haul kind of thing. 
And then in a cruel twist of fate, just as we're coming out of this time of trauma with the pandemic, we have the Delta variant. And now, you know, we have increased cases. So having those kind of shocks to the system has made trauma very real for all of us. And I think has helped bridge the gap with populations that have had chronic stressors or extreme stressors like the military and first responders to make it something that was familiar to us. And we can be compassionate about and say, yeah, that really is a real thing. And it really has a severe impact on our quality of life. And, and, the, and the good news then is it can be healed and treated if we understand that there's been a biological injury. This is all such amazing, great stuff. I'm sure we're going to talk again soon. I want to just revisit. Number one, you've created this new program. So tell us what it is and how we can find it. Thank you. So Redefine Your Mission is the website, www.redefineyourmission. What it is, is a guided experience called the Master Guide for Mental Wellness with my friend, Jennifer Tracy. She has lived experience and I'm bringing in professional expertise and my insights into the mix. And it's for warriors, first responders, and those who support them. So family members, healers, to really deeply understand their pain and how to move people through adversity, overwhelming adversity. Jennifer's story really is, is about how she has come through so much adversity to a place of healing and really growing after trauma. And so we've teamed up on that and it's uh, at redefineyourmission.com. And then the other stuff I work with is with Stella Center, which is stellacenter.com. And that is where people can find out information about the stellate ganglion block as an injection and a treatment for post-traumatic stress symptoms. And uh, the consultation is free. If people want to call in and just get more information, they can do that without being charged. And your book. Oh, thank you. So I just released the new edition of my book in May. It's called Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us. And it is 10 chapters of everything I wish I had known years ago when I first started working with warriors, first responders, medical providers, and COVID positive units the people that are wired like warriors who do things that most of us can't do, they're wired in similar ways. And they have some interesting vulnerabilities that many of us miss. And they deal with a lot of grief and a lot of loss, a lot of survivor guilt and moral injuries that we need to better understand if we're going to help and serve them. So warrior is all about the story behind the story, the pain that people don't talk about at first but that my patients opened up and revealed as we built that trust. So I'd love for people to check it out and support that work if they're inclined to with a, a rating or a review if they want. No pressure ever, but thank you for asking about it, Lori. So Warrior by Dr. Shauna Springer. Yes, thank you. So oh, I just hate it that we're done. Thank you so much for being on the show and thanks for all the wisdom that you bring. And I always feel like after... I talk with you. It's like we talk about these really big things, but there's so much hope. It always feels yeah. like so light. And I appreciate that. There is so much hope. And anytime you want me to come back, just say the word. I'd be happy to, Lori. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community and beyond. 